Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, you know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guest, we might get into a little bit of politics, but mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter, pinned as the tweet, is a link to UNICEF which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot O-R-G, and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and I uh, hope you're all being safe out there. everybody welcome to another episode of the comic source i'm your host jace and i'm blake and this is a spawn daily episode we're going to be talking about the first four issues of curse of the spawn now we've talked about plenty of issues of curse of the spawn so you might be asking yourself why are you have you talked about all these other issues of curse of the spawn and now you're finally getting to curse of the spawn one through four well that's because we don't necessarily read all the tangential stuff in the order it was published or the order it was released we use Blake's reading order, which puts things where it makes the most sense in terms of chronologically. And, you know, sometimes there's flashbacks and we do medieval spawn stuff and all that kind of awesome, awesome stuff. So keep in, in mind that if you want to check out the reading order, there's a link in the show notes to the Google Doc where Blake has meticulously put together this reading order. Your mileage may vary. Not every reading order is always the same. He's done the best to his ability of where he thinks stuff will fit. And there's even little notes and explanations about why things are where I think it's the best reading order. Believe me, I looked extensively when I was reaching spawn number 50 and this is the best one out there. Trust me. But anyway, you want to check it out link in the show notes. You can go and read it. We're going to be talking about curse of the spawn one through four, as I said, and this is a flash forward. Um, and a lot of, I'm just going to come around and say a lot of Terminator influences here, at least I felt like for me, um, if there's any, and, and I love the Terminator and I love the, this idea of humans against machines and whatnot. And, and, you know, obviously spawn is urban horror with a lot of supernatural stuff and magic and demons and heaven and hell and all that undead kind of stuff. Um, but kind of going along in that idea of a post-apocalyptic world, machines have taken over or whatnot. We don't lean that far in, but we see plenty of these demonic creatures that are melding technology into them, where they've got metal or they're robotic or they're cybernetic in some way. So, again, that really helped, at least in my mind, to really push the this Terminator influence that I felt was there. Uh, if 
and I'm not sure, maybe it's because I've only read this once and we'll give Blake a chance to give his opinion. He's obviously read it more than once, but for me, where the story falls down a little bit, and again, I still enjoyed it because it's a this big, crazy story with a lot of cool ideas. The problem is it's so big in scope, which isn't inherently bad, but like a lot of the Curse of the Spawn stuff, when you go that big without enough backstory, or in the case of this one, it's so big, there's a lot of different characters and moving parts, and at times it was hard to keep them all straight in my head. Like we've got this new spawn. He kind of looks like a spawn and he's sort of the main character. And so his stuff, I could kind of keep straight in my mind, except there are flashbacks and it's not always easy to tell when it's a flashback and when it's not. But then we have this other soldier named Abel who is transformed in some way. We have a a demon called Abaddon. We have a, a, a Malbolgia stand-in who apparently is even more powerful than Malbolgia because I think Malbolgia rules, what, the, the ninth level of hell? It kind of jumps back and forth between the eighth and the ninth. So it's it's kind of, you know, flavor of the week. Maybe it's eighth this week. Maybe it's ninth that week. Well, this guy, to prove how powerful he is, he, he says, I don't care about eighth or ninth. I'm up on the 12th level, son. What's up? Right. So this guy, clearly more powerful. Time has gone by. Now there's more levels of hell. We're on the 12th level now where this team. So there's a lot of different moving parts. And I know there's other ones. There's uh, the other guy that has the mechanical stuff that crawls around on him. Brune. Brune. There's, yeah. So there's a lot of different characters here. And then we have some human characters. Again, it just it's a big cast to just be thrown into in, in four issues and, and try to keep it all straight. But again, I'm, I'm thinking with subsequent reading order or subsequent readings of it, if I go back and reread it. I'll probably have a better idea, but going into it cold, it's just, man, it, it was, I felt like it was a lot, but it is a lot. It's, it's very abrasive because we've for the most part stuck very modern and that's mm-hmm. where the majority of the series lives is in our present day time. Uh, but this is such a departure from that. It's so far forward and we don't exactly have all the context for how things got the way they did. And, and honestly, th- this, this four or technically five issue arc um, because the conclusion for this story and in a manner of speaking, uh, the conclusion for kind of the Curse of Spawn anthology series is a one shot called Blood and Salvation. And we'll we'll get to that later. Uh, but but this little arc here, this dark future arc, uh, it's so far ahead. Like what is real? What is not real? It's it kind of rides the line of not actually being canon with the rest of the events of the series because it's so far forward. Can you really hold anything too concretely here? Don't don't take it too seriously. Just kind of think of this as just an alternate version of familiar concepts. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100 percent. And I do find it interesting. Obviously, this came out you know, way before the latest Terminator movie, but Dark Future, the latest Terminator movie was called Dark Fate. I'm mm-hmm. sure one had nothing to do with the other, but <laughs> that's similar, right. That's right. Yeah. Similar <laughs> names. So, yeah. yeah. There's all kinds of Terminator tie-ins uh, for this story. So let me get this out of the way. Uh, okay. So as you can see, share my screen, see the front cover there uh, of this new, newish spawn. Uh, looks quite different than uh, spawns we've seen before than, than Al Simmons or Medieval Spawn. And let me 
get that centered for you. And we can see the uh, creative team there. It's pretty standard, uh, the creative team we've come to, to know from Curse of the Spawn. So Alan McElroy is writing the story, Dwayne Turner on pencils, Danny Mickey on inks, Tom Orzakowski on letters. We've got Todd Broker and Roy Young this time, with special thanks to John Gordon on colors. And we're basically introduced to this, this future world, right? The, uh, the Armageddon has happened. Uh, the four horsemen have shown up on Earth. This is the, the end times, whatever you want to call it. Damnation giving, given form is the way McElroy puts it. Uh, but, but the end times have come. The war between heaven and hell is now uh, occurring on Earth. There's all these demons and supernatural creatures that are out there hunting humans. And uh, there's very few humans left. And those that are left um, are left trying to survive in the best way they can, try to find food, try to find water, try to hide from not only the demons, but also these necro soldiers called nightmares that are out there trying to uh, destroy the last of humanity as well. And they're the ones that really remind me uh, of the machines. Uh, so we meet a couple of these survivors. It's a woman uh, who, along with her son, and the woman's name is... I'm drawing a blank Madrid. on it all of a sudden. Madrid, that's right. Um, yeah, and uh, along with her son, Matt, she's a pretty capable fighter, um, But she and she remembers the times before the, the end times, but her main concern is just keeping her son safe. And so in this first issue, we see them attacked by uh, some of the nightmares. We see her uh, take them out with this weapon of hers called a spinner, where she vaporizes the nightmare and kind of giving us an idea of how uh, formidable of, of a fighter she is. Then we check in on New Vatican City. Uh, and this is kind of what I was referring to during the last episode uh, about the whole idea of this conspiracy, this long running thought that the, the Catholic church is corrupt. And uh, just because supposedly they do the will of God doesn't mean that they're good people. And in New Vatican City, we meet the anti-Pope and he's the one who's feasting on the spoils of Armageddon and really is apparently in charge of these necro soldiers and whatnot that are uh, ravaging the last of, uh, of humanity. So we're not always 100% privy to his, his thoughts or his motivations of why he does what he does. And that's kind of what I was saying, why this isn't uh, as fleshed out as it could be, uh, but it's a big story with a lot of um, a lot of moving parts. So uh, there's a lot of context in this first issue in terms of just kind of establishing the world and uh, and kind of the, the setting, if you will. And that's what you see here on the page opposite of the anti-Pope with some kind of creature chewing on some guy who's still alive. He's screaming out, oh, God help me. So uh, we then check in on uh, Madrid and Matt again. And this time they're being uh, attacked by an APC, an armed personnel carrier, uh, and it's also filled with these uh, necro soldiers. And there's some other soldiers that are uh, human soldiers that are fighting against it. And one of the guys gets burned alive right in front of them. Uh, he's screaming out, help me, help me. When this other creature comes uh, out of the wreckage and uh, it's known as the desiccator. And this is what I was talking about with this idea of melding these demonic necro creatures with all this technology. Cause you can see he's got like a robotic arm. He's got all these uh, 
kind of bone tentacles coming off of him, but he's also got like a shoulder mounted Gatling gun and a bandolier. And it's really kind of a cool looking design from, uh, from Dwayne Turner here. So um, as this guy who's on fire is, um, is dying, this desiccator goes in this is where he gets his name and he sinks in his kind of bone tentacles into this guy. And, uh, he's, he says something about, uh, we can't waste any of these fluids. You know, water is really hard to come by in this post-apocalyptic world. And apparently these necro creatures need water to survive as much as humans do. And so he sucks all of the moisture out of this guy until he's nothing but a, a desiccated, dried out husk. Uh, and that's where this thing gets his name. You know, the, the desiccator is he's kind of living off of this, uh, this guy who was uh, about to die. So uh, then he turns his attention toward Madrid and, uh, and Maddie and kind of forces fires at them. And is kind of forcing them to, to go where they want them to go, where they can, uh, where they can capture them next. So uh, once he has them cornered, just as he's about to uh, attack them, a new hell spawn rises, right? We see him pop up out of the uh, ground here. And interesting coloring. He's rather than being like this bright red uh, and green, the green is still there to some extent, but instead of red, you get this darkish purple color, which I think really works, especially when you're trying to, to darken things up for a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, and we get a, a lot of exposition here from McElroy just talking about the state of mind of this, how he's charred down to the bone and he's emotional and there's anguish and he's in pain and his soul has been shattered. And as he, he pops up out of the ground, he remembers uh, his childhood as he's facing the desiccator here, the desiccator is reminding him of his abusive father. He used to beat on him and his sister and his mother and uh, whoever this spawn uh, is in life. When he was a little boy, picked up a weapon and killed his father. Um, and so he's, he's reminded of that as he's, uh, as he's reborn, if you will. So, uh, in that way, just as he protected his sister and his mother from uh, his father, he's going to protect this mother and son from uh, the desiccator. So it's a great uh, full page splash here of this new spawn jumping out at the desiccator as the desiccator's Gatlin gun is spinning and a uh, little bit of a, of a fight here. Looks pretty cool. Um, spawn is screaming out vengeance. He, he wants to get retribution. And he does. He takes out the desiccator. So um, once he does that, the boy is ready to trust him. But Madrid, the mother, is like, you know, just because he killed the desiccator doesn't mean he won't kill us, too. But when uh, this spawn looks at the boy, he says, wait, you have a son? Wait, how, don't you know me? Like, there clearly there's a connection right away. There's this idea that there is a connection at least between the boy and Spawn, if not the uh, the mother as well, if not Madrid. So we're just not really sure what that uh, connection might have been uh, or might be. But before we even get uh, an idea of what it might be, all of a sudden the Spawn freaks out and yells up at the sky, thinking about his memories and about the world. And he says, what have I done? Uh, like, is it his fault the world is the way that it is? So it's not really clear, but that's the way that the, uh, the issue ends. Uh, but what I will say is this design of this spawn by Dwayne Turner is, is fantastic. Like even the silhouette, like I love, let me get to the page where you kind of see him in the background um, here. 
in this panel above the panel with uh, the mother and son's faces where you can kind of see how he has the, the blades coming up from behind his back. I mean, that silhouette, and you'll see it again in, in the next issue, uh, or actually you can see it right there next to a desiccator when he's hanging upside down. Uh, it's just a really cool silhouette that he has on top of when you look at that last page and you get a, a close-up of his face, how he looks a little bit more demonic, a little, you would almost say Terminator-like uh, with, you know, not having cheeks or whatever uh, when you, you see a Terminator without its flesh on. So, yeah, visually, this is a, a very interesting issue. Um, I understand why they made the coloring choices that they made. It's very dark. It's very murky. Uh, I wouldn't mind if it was a little less so only because it would make the art stand out a little more. But again, it would I don't think it would suit the right tone for the book of how dark they're trying to go with the story. So I understand why they did it. It's just selfishly. I wish I, uh, that things were differentiated a little bit more, but a lot of gray and a lot of black. So sometimes uh, some of the detail gets lost. I think it gets blended in. But all in all, it was a, it was an intriguing start but we don't have a lot of answers and we've had a lot of stuff thrown at us in only one issue. So thoughts on this one, Blake? Uh, yeah. Lots of really solid world building. It's an introduction uh, to this new setting. I, I like to think of this issue a lot like the very first issue of the whole, of the whole shebang of spawn. It has a mystery kind of at its core. Clearly there's a relationship somewhere between Madrid, Matthew and this new hell spawn. And, um, and we're not, you know, explicitly told in this first issue what it is, but it suggests more. Uh, he's a really cool, badass demon that is fighting other demons for some reason. And, you know, what, what is his motivations? What's his goals? Clearly, he, he's a protector. He wants to help people. We saw in his background that, you know, his father was abusive and he was trying to protect his family. So he's willing to resort to violent measures in order to, you know, save innocent people. And, you know, he's, he's just a cool Hellspawn. He's, he's one of my favorite Hellspawn designs because he, he looks like he's decked out in battle armor. Like he's ready and made for battle with the blades and the spikes and everything. His symbiote is not the same as what we're familiar with uh, from the main series. So it's just interesting to see a different kind of Hellspawn. Um, but yeah, very much an introduction to just the world and this setting. Uh, we don't get a ton of story here. Yeah, I agree with about the design. He, he looks fantastic. So, uh, all right, let's move on. Issue number two, we get a better look at him. His, and his cape does look a little more red here as opposed to the purple that we saw in the first issue. But either way, a really great cover from Dwayne Turner with the skulls on the ground and uh, a good look at uh, both the, this new Hellspawn as well as like the blades that pop up behind him and his, uh, his cape and whatnot. So, uh, Credits on the first inside the first page there. Alan McElroy on story. Dwayne Turner does the pencils. Danny Mickey on inks. Copy editor and letter. Uh, Tom Orzakowski. Todd Broker and Roy Young on colors with a special thanks to uh, to John Gordon. So as we uh, launch in here, it starts with a flashback. And we're told that there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of blood, flashes of death, flashes of anger. And this man who was once known as Daniel uh, Lanzo uh, has spent a lot of time in different prison facilities. This one happens to be the Demos prison facility. And 
what doesn't kill him just makes him stronger. He's put up with a lot of uh, abuse and anguish in his time. Now, this Daniel Lozano, he's the same one that was uh, the same little boy that took out his father, that killed his father. So, you know, that, that's what they mean when they uh, that's what they mean when they're talking about this, this legacy of uh, of abuse. Um, so you turn the page and it's like, wait, what? This is the part where I'm like, I didn't quite get it. It looks like some sort of starship is about to crash into Earth. Um, and again, it's Daniel Lozano, and he, you can see him there in, in his um, in his suit. It's it's on fire. He's been betrayed. He sealed his fate. The Earth below is about to have its innocence stripped away by Lozano's cargo. So, but I just I wasn't hundred percent sure. Like, so am I to understand that Lozano is the one that is responsible for Armageddon starting on earth? I think so. It's kind of implied that way um, that, you know, during an escape attempt from one of these prisons from the Demos prison that uh, something went wrong. Like, something happened while he was mid flight and that he crashed into earth because it, it appears like if, if, you know, people watching the YouTube video, you know, we'll, we'll be able to see, but for the listeners, it looks like a comet, like, like he's, he's completely burst into flames. And as he's approaching earth, it looks like, you know, the earth is going up in flames as he's crashing into it. So I feel like that's kind of the implication is that somehow he crashed lands and it, ignites you know some kind of like apocalyptic event that you know kind of triggers this this new armageddon that the you know this kind of stand-in for malbolgia his name's really hard to pronounce it's flagethanyar or something like that it's it's a big one <laughs> flagethanyar yeah he's yeah. a flagethanyar yeah i think that's how you say it but the thing that got me is it yeah, the line is Daniel Lozano has been betrayed, sealed his own hideous fate and the earth below. It's innocence about to be stripped away by Lozano's fetid cargo. So I, it felt like whatever, and, and it, I thought they would come back to this at some point in the story and explain that maybe there was some sort of talisman or artifact or something that, that Lozano was carrying in the cargo hold of the ship that he's using to return to, to earth from the Demos prison that was a way for uh, Flagethanyar to to come to Earth. Like maybe Flagethanyar has been trapped as well on on Demos in some way. So where this artifact needs to be returned to Earth so that he can then, you know, start Armageddon, start the final battle, start the apocalypse, whatever you want to see. Um, because again, if you're checking it out on YouTube, the, the page there uh, that the, the ship that's burning up on reentry with uh, Flagethanyar's big giant mouth that, so his lower jaw is so big that it extends well beyond his upper jaw. And it's just all these teeth sticking up. And he says, yes, my son, dearest Daniel, welcome home. And then it's like uh, the ship, the, as it burns up in reentry, hits that illusion uh, or whatever it is of uh, Flagethanyar and then, and it explodes. So Again, the implication, especially at the end of last issue, what have I done, is that in some way the actions or the choices that Daniel Lozano have have chosen have, you know, and again, he's been manipulated. It says he's been betrayed and didn't do it on purpose. But whatever, for whatever reason, somehow his actions have 
cause the earth to be where they are right now. So uh, as we turn the page, we're back in present time and Lozano's talking, saying, Bastard, I hear you stop laughing. Uh, you know, I know it's not my fault. I know it was a setup. But again, we never go back to finding out exactly what happened. Meanwhile, uh, Madrid and Matthew are trying to get away. Um, and Matthew's asking, you know, about what the hell spawn is. He goes, what is it? It's not a nightmare. It's not a necro soldier. And she says, I don't know, Matt. I've never seen one before. Um, there's something familiar about him, though. I'm not sure. And Matt, again, he, you know, maybe it's just the innocence of youth. He wants to, to trust this creature that just saved them. He goes, but it saved our lives. Like a demon wouldn't do that, right? And again, Madrid's like, just because it, first rule of survival, <laughs> trust nothing. Just because it uh, killed the desiccator doesn't mean it won't kill us. Uh, and meanwhile, Daniel's kind of recovered. And he's like, you know, everything that was planned, everything you, you tricked me. And now the boy that was here that I, seemed familiar to me is gone. And once again, he has um, another flashback. So this time he is uh, a teenager. We're told he's been in and out of juvenile detention centers his whole life. And he's being attacked by a crater gang. And again, it's kill or be killed, but he does get pretty brutal here. He takes out one of the other gangs. They're, you know, they're in their spacesuits. They, they can't breathe. Uh, and he, he cracks the guy's uh, helmet open and kills him. So, um, yeah, he, he, Daniel Lozano is not exactly a, a nice guy, which I guess you sort of expect if somebody's going to become a hellspawn, they're not uh, exactly a nice guy. But he does catch up with the uh, the mother and the son, and he says, uh, you know, Madrid, I stood my ground. I never gave up. The boy knows. He understands even more than you did. And Matthew's saying, he's right. There's, there's something about him, but Madrid's not having it. She's like, leave my son alone. She doesn't want to hear. She blasts him with the spinner gun. And, uh, you know, maybe it's the fact that Daniel Lozano's new to his, his hellspawn powers. He takes it point blank. He's like curled up on the ground, not exactly in, uh, in the best of shape when he starts hearing all these voices talking to him and, uh, it's never clear to me who exactly these voices are. I don't know if it's voices from people he's killed in the past or whatnot, but um, they definitely are, are, are bothering him. <laughs> Say that. And he lashes out against them. And, you know, they're in, in a way, it seems like they have to be physical manifestations, manifestations in some way, because, you know, we're told that he, he rips off one of their heads with, uh, with his chains. And then uh, all of a sudden he is being attacked from all sides. Um, by these these creatures, these demons, they're not exactly the uh, the necro soldiers we've seen before, but they don't seem to be any sort of creature that we've that we've seen before. Because we'll see later some some beings that are supposedly the souls of um, deceased children, but these don't seem to be that either. But again, maybe it's just all in his head as he's fighting them off and. Uh, of course, this all leads to another flashback, which, again, that's part of the reason why this is so so hard to follow, because it's constantly flashing back. And we see that there was one time in his life where Daniel Lozano did feel connection to someone else. He got uh, appointed a, a public defender when he was in prison, somebody named Noon, and ends up having a relationship with this girl, which, I mean, go, Daniel, you're in prison and you managed to score with your lawyer, I guess, got the charm going on. Um but of course, it is just a flashback and she rots away in front of his eyes and all these skulls pop out of the, the ground. And uh, we see his his master, you know, just like Al Simmons has the master of Malbulgia, um, 
the master of uh, of Daniel Lozano is this uh, Flagathan Yar. And he says, hey, you know, it's just another casualty. This woman noon, she's just another casualty of uh, in the life of Daniel Lozano. He's, you, you were a thief. You were a murderer. You're a monster. You're guilty on all those counts. So, you know, I've, I've turned you into something meaningful down here on the 12th level of hell. And you'll be my best hell spawn ever. And you're going to be my, my masterpiece. And, and we're, um, we're depending on you to uh, go out into the world and, and be, uh, you know, a powerful hell spawn. And much like Al Simmons on, uh, in the main story is supposed to be killing people and causing chaos and doing all that and sending people down to be soldiers, uh, in the army of Malbolgia. Daniel Zano is supposed to be doing something similar. And we're also introduced to, uh, this other creature called Abaddon. And he's, uh, another servant of, um, of Flagathan Yard is, I guess, kind of the future version of the violator, but he's not so wacky and crazy. Uh, he's much more serious. Um, but he's, I guess you'd say he's one step above, um, Daniel Lozano, this, this new Hellspawn. So, uh, clearly there's relationship stuff that's going to, to go on there. Meanwhile, Madrid and Matthew have made their way, um, to, uh, or trying to make their way to a, a human encampment. They come across another, um, cadre of uh of necro soldiers they managed to take them out and then um take the uh armored personnel carrier and use it as uh as transportation so again madrid just showing how uh resourceful she is all right haven't had enough new characters yet because now we're going to be introduced to uh another new character and this is one that i uh, talked about before so his name is brune and he's part bone, he's part flesh, he's part machine. And I'm never quite sure what exactly his role is. Like, is he a necro soldier? Does he work for Abaddon? Does he work for Flathanyar? Uh, like, it's I never, it's never really explained. But he's he's another faction, and it's, he definitely commands some necro soldiers. And we're told that he has nanomites that stream forward and are constantly trying to put his skin back together as it's sloughing off. So uh, he's another faction in this uh, in this story. And one I, I feel a little superfluous because he's never really explained that well. And I feel like he doesn't necessarily need to be there. Um, but meanwhile, we check back in with the anti-pope. Now, the anti-pope has managed to capture one of the... Um, one of the members of the human resistance, this guy named Abel and uh, Abel seems like he's pretty resigned to his fate. He's not going to give up any information to the anti-Pope. He's not going to betray any of them, but um, they do some sort of ritual, pull out one of those knives that we've talked about before, like um, D'Angelo had with the uh, golden hilt on it. Oh, and, yeah, from the previous episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he he slices open uh, Abel, disembowels him basically, and then they prepare him for baptism, whatever the uh, evil version of uh, baptism is. So clearly they're doing something with Abel. And this is another part of the story that is never like fleshed out that well. Like they he gets sent in as kind of a spy, but nothing really ever comes of it in a lot of ways. So not exactly sure what is it was supposed to uh, accomplish, but he is uh, sewn back up. And now that he's 
basically going to be sent in as a, a sleeper agent. So meanwhile, um, high atop the, the ruins of the dying world, we're told two officers in hell's great army gaze across the land. So we've got um, a bat in here and he's telling uh, Daniel Lozano that we need to make them pay no salvation, kill all the humans that are left, no reprieve, make them pay for the judgments and the, the suffering of, in the name of goodness. And Daniel Lozano is remembering back to his really tortured life and, horrible existence that he had. And he, he says, yes, this is what humankind deserves. It will be my pleasure. And again, it ends on a really great final uh, image there of, uh, of Lozano, more of a, a finished look to him uh, in terms of the blades that are sticking up and the spikes that are coming off of his, uh, his shoulders. And yeah, just again, really, really great image from, uh, from Dwayne Turner. So thoughts on this second part of the story here, Blake? Uh, not too many. Uh, just that, uh, I believe it's, it's supposed to be implied that the Boone character is not necessarily his own faction. I'm, I'm pretty sure it it feels like he's working for the anti-pope and I think the anti-pope is working for Flagethanyar. It's kind of like a, a descending chain and he's just like this elite soldier that he's sending in to, to take them out. That's kind of how I read it anyway, that the anti-pope is like the number two, Flegethenyar is the number one, and that all these other named characters that are on the bad guy side, those are all sort of like lieutenants and generals like Abaddon. Um, But yeah, Yeah. the the introduction of this new character, Abel, uh, there will be some conclusion to that. So so don't feel like... uh, you know, like it, it's a dangling threat. We will have answers to that at some point. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and it's great that uh, McElroy's is giving us such, uh, you know, a big story and scope. But again, I just, for the, for the sake of simplicity, because this isn't an established world, I wonder if it might not have been simpler to not give it like, like Brune to me, that was where it was just a step too far. I'm trying to keep, you know, all these guys straight. It just gets, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe able or, or what have you. But yeah, I mean, maybe if it's in the, blood and salvation where some of these storylines pay off then yeah that, that'll be fine so uh anyway part number three really cool cover from uh from Dwayne turner once again you see a uh, picture of uh daniel lozano version of of spawn there and clearly in torment clearly suffering uh and the name of the issue is corpse candles which i found to be interesting as well uh same creative team mcelroy writing Dwayne turner on pencils danny mickey on inks or Zakowski, copy editor and letters and then tom uh, todd broker and roy young uh, on colors with a special thanks to uh to john gordon so another you know there because there haven't been enough uh characters name characters we do get introduced to one more here uh, and his name is doro and he finds Abel kind of wandering around in the ruins. So we know Abel has been compromised. Doro doesn't. They're clearly friends here. And uh, I, I love the letter balloon. You can see it on YouTube, even though I redacted the words in the letter balloon. You can see the tail of the balloon, how it's kind of wavy and squiggly, which indicates that, yeah, something is not quite right with Abel. He has been uh, baptized by the anti-pope, whatever that means. And sent back out to to rejoin the humans as this sleeper agent, as I said. 
So on the next page, we, we get Boone. And here are those uh, other creatures that I was talking about before. They're called Navkeys. They're the restless souls of murdered children. And they have arisen and they're awaiting orders from their master, who is this uh, Brune character. And uh, again, you can see on the, the bottom panel there about how sort of uh, machine-like Brune looks. It says it pulls back his hood. It reveals a ghastly entropic skull. And across his runnelled countenance, tiny nano tech mites scurry to repair and reshape flaking and rotting skin. So, yeah, he clearly could use a, uh, a facial. And you can see the bugs crawling on his forehead there. So really cool detail from, uh, from Dwayne Turner. So uh, meanwhile, Spawn is trudging through the, the fields, killing whatever he comes across. Again, you know, uh, that talk that he had with Abaddon at the end of last issue, supposedly he's out there to, to wipe out the last of humanity, to help usher in the final victory for the anti-Pope. And uh, clearly the humans are fighting back in the best way they can. Let's send this soulless devil back where he came from. And Daniel replying, want a piece of me soldier. And we see him there uh, using his symbiote, although a different sort of symbiote, like Blake was mentioning to take out a bunch of these soldiers, ripping them apart with these side barbs and what have you. And again, he's hearing these voices as uh, in his head, as all this stuff is happening and he's thinking about how easy this comes and Abaddon is there as well saying, ah, it's so nice to see, you know, one of my, one of my protégés so happy in his work. Meanwhile, uh, Madrid and Matt have reached the, the human settlement. They offer them the, the armored personnel carrier, which will help in the battle against the, the forces of evil. If they can just have some food and water and they say, well, we don't have much to spare, but you know, we'll do, we'll do what we can. And we're introduced to a couple of, more named characters, a couple of members of the human resistance here, uh, Siv and Fletchette. And uh, again, very reminiscent of the, the ragtag uh, nature of, of the human rebellion that we see in the Terminator movie. So you can't help but be, be reminded of that. So uh, as these two new uh, members of the, the rebellion show up, they take him to meet the leader of the rebellion. And we're uh, told that this guy, uh, he's their spiritual leader. His name's uh, Mortimer. And as soon as he sees the boy, he senses something with his spiritual powers, I guess. He says, he knows, he knows you, he knows you. The boy, you're his blood. We need you, we need to kill them both now. <laughs> so again, we, we knew that there was some connection between Daniel Lozano and these two. And now it seems like in this third issue with this guy saying, you're his blood, that they're actually related in some way. So uh, the other human soldiers are about to take him out, but there seems to be some reluctance. Like what, you know, why would we kill these guys? If we kill these guys, we're no better than the forces of evil. So there's some hesitancy. And while they're hesitating, we see Abel, and uh, Doro show up and Abel's like, put your guns down. The woman and the boy are welcome here. So again, you wonder, okay, why, what, what's Abel's motivation? And no one seems to even notice that there are bugs crawling around on Abel, except for Matthew. So interesting that, you know, we know Abel is not all himself and you would think they would notice his eyes are like glowing yellow and he looks all gaunt and uh, like desiccated and whatnot. But 
yeah, maybe they they see what they want to see, but clearly something going on uh, with Abel. So uh, meanwhile, a bunch of these uh, nav keys under the um, order of Brune are headed to the human settlement. They found it. They say, oh, feast. They're very hungry. They feed on human flesh and they have uh, decided to attack. Meanwhile, back on the, the field of battle where uh, the Daniel Lozano spawn was fighting the human. He's just about done um, taking out all of the humans that are left when he comes across a woman and her kids. And once again, he is reminded of himself, his sister and his mother when his dad was attacking. Uh, and we see the moment when after uh, Daniel killed his father, Daniel was taken away by these soldiers um, wasn't allowed to have even say goodbye or have any human contact. He was taken away for life um, to, uh, to pay for killing his father, even though his father was this, this horrible person. And in that flash of memory, uh, he, he's anguished. He screams out. Uh, he had, he had made this promise to his sister as he was leaving that he wouldn't give up. That was his promise. So Danny promised me that you won't give up. And, uh, he remembers that promise. And so at the moment he's about to kill this mother and her two children, he, he makes a choice. Um, and instead of taking out the humans, he turns on the soldiers and he says, you know, I, I promised her and he, he uses his powers and he actually uh, saves the, saves the family. And then he looks at himself in the, in the mirror in this re, uh, reflection of water and he's, he's cursing uh, Flagothior, look, look at what you've made me, look at what you've made me do. Uh, and once again, he's, he's tormented by anguish and by laughter. Uh, he's, he's clearly tormented by uh, the choices in his, in his life that he's made. And he takes off his shroud and he sees, uh, much like Brune, he's, he's not fully human anymore, but he's not just necroplasm either. He's, he's some terrible hybrid of the two. You know, he's got all kinds of what looks like technology and metal and whatnot. And he's cursing, uh, his existence. And, uh, meanwhile, uh, the demon Lord, uh, Flagathior is, is saying, this is your fault. You did this fires of apocalypse burn in your bones. It's you, not me. You, you must use your power. There's no avoiding it. It's been your fate for centuries. So stop fighting me, get with the program. Uh, you know, go, go finish what you're supposed to be doing. Go take out the, the rest of the soldiers. So uh, when he gets uh, the chance and comes against some human soldiers, again, he does uh, attack one of the human soldiers, but he's, he's fighting against that rebellion and he does uh, turn away from them and ends up uh, attacking the necro soldiers again until there's, there's none left. So he's made his choice. He's chosen his side and uh, he's, he's doing his best to fight against the, the impulses to, to do evil basically. So in the aftermath of that, we're told these demon locusts come to sort of clean up the battlefield. They're eating the dead and whatnot. And through that battlefield strides uh, 
Abaddon, who also feeds off a lot of that with his different tendrils and whatnot. And uh, he's looking for uh, for Daniel Lozano, and he finds him, and he says, "What? What's the meaning of this? Why did you turn against the Necro soldiers?" And Daniels was laying all his cards on the table. He says, I won't let you hurt them anymore. This isn't right. It's not right for us to kill them. They're flesh and blood. And Abaddon's like, flesh and blood? Like, what are you, what are you talking about, man? What do you mean it's not right? Like, nothing is right about this world. These self-serving, wretched uh, excuses for humans, they're the ones that did this. They did this to their own world. They signed their own death warrant. Uh, it's too late to stop Armageddon. You need to, you know, to follow your orders, basically. You can't save humanity. You can't save Madrid or her bastard son. The anti-Pope has already sent their punishment. And by that, you think that he must be referring to Abel. Um, and so Abaddon's like, yeah, get get with the program. The end has begun. You know, this is the final battle. So do what you're told, basically. So Spawn goes running off now that he's heard that uh, the anti-Pope has sent the, the punishment for Madrid and this boy, because again, Daniel feels some sort of connection to them. And so he's, he, he's very uh, invested in saving them. So when, while he does that, uh, Abaddon is talking to uh, Phlegeth and Yor saying, okay, the, the first test has begun. Uh, and Phlegeth and Yor is like, okay, great. We'll see what this is going to do for his, his destiny. Once Lozano has killed his sister and her vile issue, the real game can begin. So, it's revealed that uh, Madrid is the girl that we saw in the in the flashbacks, the girl that told Daniel, you know, don't give up. Um, and so obviously her son would be uh, Daniel's nephew. So uh, real interesting connection, clearly blood. I mean, that, you can't really get much closer than that. Um, so will he give in? Will Daniel give in to his baser instincts? Will he succumb to evil? Will he continue to try to resist? Uh, clearly, he's powerful. Um, and it's interesting that he's, he's murdered so many necro soldiers and still they're like, eh, why, you know, why have you done this? But you don't necessarily punish him. They're just like, yeah, go, go take out your sister. Not going to take out his sister. At least he, it doesn't appear that he will. Um, but again, a lot of, a lot of big reveals in this, uh, in this issue, but fast paced and a lot, a lot of stuff goes on a lot of different moving parts to keep straight. Uh, we're, you know, we're introduced to uh, Boone or, or get a better look at Boone, I guess you'd say. And we're introduced to Siv and Flechette and uh, more to Muir. So, yeah, that's what I was saying at the beginning. A lot of, lot of characters, a lot of moving parts in this story. So thoughts on this one, Blake? I love all the art with Flynn Gethinyar. He's a very interesting demon. Like he's similar enough to what we've seen with Violator and Malbolgia, but different enough to be just his own powerful entity. Um, Clearly, clearly a a big demonic uh, presence. And this is where most of the stories really starts to kick in. Like the first two issues felt very much like, okay, we're building towards something. We're building towards something. But at the end of this one, we find out, oh, Madrid is his sister. Oh my. Okay. The game has changed because does Daniel 
fully realize what's happening. Like he seemed to recognize Madrid before, but he also seemed to, you know, still be kind of confused. So, you know, like, like, is he going to be able to hold back from those violent instincts? I mean, he was, he was slaughtering humanity and, and human soldiers not too long ago. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's what will he do the deed? Yeah, and the other thing that I'll say about the art is, I mean, there's so much detail. Uh, and like I said, it is a little bit of a monochromatic colored story, but you, you understand why, because it is, you know, especially when it's flashback and it's future and it's supposed to be dark and whatnot. But man, I don't remember hearing about Dwayne Turner's work at this time on, on Curse of the Spawn, and I should have, because, I mean, look at that splash page where yeah that cape is so good (laughs) yeah it's it's crazy and when you look at the detail you know it's i might complain about trying to keep track of all these different characters but each of each of them is so unique and so different but yet so detailed whether it's daniel's uh face without his shroud on or whether it's the uh close-up on abaddon uh whether it's the close-up on brune where he had those uh little nanites or whatever they were crawling on his uh on his forehead the giant uh, underjaw like talk about an underbite from uh (laughs) (laughs) from the demon here uh just just insane so all right well let's move on to the to the last issue uh again really cool cover from uh dwayne turner much much simpler but still tons of detail with uh, one of Daniel Lozano's hands bursting up out of the ground, and we see plenty of worms and uh, desiccated flesh and whatnot. So looking inside the front cover, we get the uh, credits, Alan McElroy on story, Dwayne Turner on pencils, Danny Mickey on inks, Orzakowski, editor and letters, and colors from Todd Broker, Roy Young. Special thanks to uh, to Josh Gordon. So it starts off with a look at uh, Flagathanyar, and uh, he's looking on as Daniel Lozano is uh, letting nothing stand in his way as he heads toward the uh, the headquarters of the human rebellion, as he's uh, trying to reach his sister and his, uh, his nephew. And uh, Flagethenyar is, is actually trying to stop him, which I find to be interesting. Actually, is that Flagethenyar? I- you know what? Now that I look at it, I thought before when I read this the first time that the, it was Flagethenyar, but it's not. It's a daemon that Flagethenyar has sent after him, right? Because he doesn't have the giant underbite. Yeah. So this, yeah. So this is just a a, a demon that Flagethenyar has sent after Daniel Lozano to to stop him. And as they're fighting, the the dead earth gives away from underneath them. Uh, this this Damon that um, that Daniel's fighting is much larger than him, kind of has the, the upper hand and what uh, Daniel does in order to try to even the playing field is he he fires his weapon and releases, uh, destroys an ancient wall and uh, allows this aqueduct to s- sort of uh, release this putrid torrent of blood, water and corpse brine, uh, the tears of humanity shed and quickly forgotten. And it uh, it washes them away to kind of separate them. And then he fires up into the ceiling um, and has this whole entire uh, cavern collapse on this, uh, this demon that uh, Flagesignor had, had sent after him, which I, I find to be interesting. <laughs> Doesn't a hundred percent make sense because at the end of last issue, it was Flagesignor and 
Abaddon saying, okay, he's going to go to take his sister. We'll see what happens. But maybe on his way there, because he was taking out so many necro soldiers, maybe that's when Flagethenyar decided, or maybe it wasn't even Flagethenyar. Maybe it was just another um, officer uh, in the, the hell army uh, on the battlefield. That's like, Hey, who's this guy taking out all our soldiers? We need to stop him. Let's send this uh, powerful demon uh, against him. But clearly it, uh, it was unsuccessful. Uh, Daniel's able to take out this, uh, this daemon. And we hear about all these boiling rats that come out after and start chewing on it. And that cycle of evil that we've uh, seen in, in the regular issues of Spawn, uh, plenty. So meanwhile, at the headquarters of the, the rebellion, uh, Madrid and Matthew are, are feeding, uh, having a chance to eat. And Daniel or uh, Matt rather once again notices this, uh, this able guy creeping around in the shadows, looking at him. And he has a hunger in his eyes and Matthew knows there's something not quite right with this guy who's watching them, but he's not sure what it is. And then at that moment, the nav keys that we saw last issue that were uh, about to attack breach their defenses and, uh, and make their way into the headquarters. Uh, Madrid sends Matthew away. He says, go to the auditorium, hide there. Uh, I'll find you. And uh, we see that there are some other uh, children waiting there uh, in the auditorium as well. Meanwhile, <coughs> um, um, the I can't remember what the leader's name, Mastur, Mastamuro, I think is his name. Uh, he is there hiding. There. As, yeah, he is there hiding as well. And he, he's yelling at Matthew saying, it's your fault. You're the one that brought all these evil people here. And um because of that, Matthew goes to kind of hide in the shadows when he's grabbed from behind. And we see it's Abel finally making his move. And when somebody confronts Abel about it, he slaps, he backhands them and takes out their eyes with these giant spiked claws that he has. And again, like this guy does not look normal. If you knew Abel from before and there's so few humans, why did nobody go, dude, why are your hands like claws? Why are your eyes glowing now? Why are you, I mean, you, were, you were gone for a long time. You think these guys these humans that are left would be used to betrayal and magic and, and that kind of stuff. But anyway, I guess it wouldn't suit the story. So back in the, uh, the main room where the battle's taking place, the, the forces of the humans are, um, are overwhelmed and they're about to, to kill Madrid. Uh, we're, we're told, but this time death has finally run her down and she's about to scream when, Daniel shows up and uh, and rescues her. So uh, keep in mind, he doesn't know at this point that it's his sister. Uh, he just knows he feels the connection to her. And uh, he takes out um, all the nav keys. He uses his powers and turns them into some sort of uh, some sort of gas. And they're released into the echo sphere, we are told. And once that happens, um, the person that had their eyes gouged out comes uh, tumble, stumbling in the room saying, Abel took my eyes. He took the boy. And obviously uh, Madrid is, uh, is very distraught and uh, Spawn says, well, I'll, I'll bring him back. They want hell on earth. Good. Cause it's coming. And, and Madrid's like, no, wait, let me like help me. And she turns to the rest of the humans says, help me, help, you know, help me come rescue my son. And Mass Murrow's like, no, your boy, the creature, you, 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 you've brought hell on us. So just go get out of here. 
And Siv and Farshad are like, well, hold on a second. If this isn't what we're fighting for to save people from the forces of evil, then then what are we fighting for? You're just going to turn these people out. So um, Madrid, along with Siv and Flechette, uh, they decide to join up along with Spawn, and they go following Spawn, who didn't wait, and he went um, tearing off across the Scorched Deadlands. So they follow his his trail. And where the trail leads to is this place called the Tower, uh, which we're told is a cancerous tumor spike spewed from hell's acidic depths. Um, and as this able creature is uh, carrying him and climbing up this, this tower, um, he gets attacked by, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's Boone, right? But I'm not sure why. I'm, oh, I'm pretty no. sure it's Boone. It, it's got yeah. the same aesthetic and everything yeah. as, as him from the previous issues. Yeah, so as Spawn shows up to, to follow, Boone attacks him. And he says, you bastard, you slaughtered all of my children. And uh, there's a pretty, pretty brutal fight between the two of them. Um, but eventually, Spawn, with his superior abilities uh, and superior power, kills Boone and just says, burn. And we're told that uh, Boone's screams are unending as he continues on toward the tower. <laughs> so uh, the other humans are, are following along as well taking out wolves and, you know, whatever they can uh, along the way as Abel's climbing up the side of the tower to take uh, Matthew to the top. Matthew grabs a bone. This tower is made out of human bones. Matthew grabs a bone from uh, the side of the tower and stabs Abel in the neck, which actually causes Abel to release them. So if Spawn at that moment could just catch him, all would be good, but uh, it's not to be. And instead the tower itself reaches out and catches, um, catches Matthew and then passes him up the tower, which if the tower could do that, why didn't Abel just give it to the, give him to the tower and have him in pass it up place. in the first <laughs> place? Cause he gets to the top really, really quick, much faster than Abel can, can get him up there. And uh, Abaddon is waiting at the top saying, hello, Matthew. Once, uh, once Matthew gets to the top. It's all for the drama. Uh, yeah. All for the drama. So meanwhile, Spawn sensing that it's like, not the boy. Uh, you can't have him. And he, he appears over the side of the tower. And Abaddon is like, what do you want to save this guy for? Let's just kill him. Let's take his uh, life now. His soul will go to heaven. And of course, if you kill this boy, it will seal your fate forever. Uh, and the choice is, is up to you. So heaven or hell, you know, which will it be? And uh, Abaddon, again, he knows that this boy is, is related to Dave. So, Again, it's not, never quite clear. At the end of last issue, it wasn't clear why they decided to trust Daniel that he was going to go and kill his sister. Uh, and here, it's not quite clear either. I, I think in a way, the, the way I read it, but I'm not sure if I'm right, is that Abaddon is like, okay, either way, we win. Like, if Daniel kills this boy, then he is damned forever. He can never come back from that. And if he doesn't, the the torment and the anguish of it will be, um, you know, a, a punishment basically. So, yeah. but he what, either kills him now and kind of saves Matthew from whatever tortures hell is going to, to put on him or he lets him live. And then Matthew's got to suffer through everything that, that hell's going to put him through. So it's a lose, lose situation for Daniel in, in this particular scenario. 
Yeah, but uh, Daniel has learned uh, a little bit about his powers that we didn't realize that he he knew about. And he tells Matthew, close your eyes and think about the place where you'd most like to be. Think real hard. And then he wraps Daniel up in his power and he teleports him like we've seen uh, spawns do uh, before. And obviously this just shocks uh, Abaddon. He's like, how did, how did he know how to do that? You traitor's bastard. So then he orders all his uh, his uh, minions to to kill Daniel. Daniel rips off all the, the tentacles from uh, Abaddon. And there's a pretty uh, brutal fight between uh, these uh, these different hell spawns. Uh, with Daniel saying, you want my anger, you want my rage, you want my darkness, uh, you want to see the black fire of my soul. Like he, he, Daniel has been through a lot. Like, you know, we, we say Al Simmons is a tortured soul. Al Simmons has nothing on, uh, on Daniel Lozano. Lozano has been through just an amazing amount of, of pain and abuse and whatnot in his life. And so uh, he kind of releases all his energy or what I assume is all his energy, all that blackness, all that angst, all that abuse and terror and anger and hate that he's, he's had piled on in his whole life. Uh, and we're told that he screams from the bowels of his shattered being, which I, I really love that line from McElroy uh, and Abaddon screams and he feels something that he has never felt before in the eternity that he's been alive. He feels fear. And then Daniel unleashes all of his power, his this deluge of dark light energy, and it goes off in this huge explosion that's like a, a mushroom cloud, a power of hell churning in the depths like a nuclear furnace. And the resulting dark blast leaves necroflames and a crater sea of boiling tar 20 miles an hour that will never cool. Again, a really cool visual there that, that Daniel's able to do by releasing all that torment. So you think at that point, okay, well, that's the end of Abaddon and that's probably the end of Daniel as well, but kind of uh, reflecting what we saw on the cover, these humans, Matt and Siv and, uh, and Fletchett and Madden uh, um, or Madrid rather who have survived uh, and they're, they're thinking, uh, Matt is saved because he materializes where he want, you know, Spawn had told him, think about the place that you most want to be. That was next to his mother's side. So they have been reunited. And as they look on at this explosion and all the fallout and whatnot, um, it's a, a crucial battle that's over, but Daniel has survived. And, and that's, was the cover, the hand coming up out of the ground was Daniel surviving that blast. And the last line is, but for Daniel Lozano, hell spawn, the war for his soul and the soul of humanity is just beginning. So he, he survived that blast. He didn't use all his energy. Um, and maybe Abaddon survived as well. We don't know. But um, a really cool ending. And again, those Terminator influences with a big you know, nuclear blast uh, ending the, the story. So, yeah, really, really fun story. Um, again, I, I think could have maybe been done a little simpler don't know that we needed able i mean i get get that they used him to to transport matt from one place to another i feel like they could have used broom to do that or just some nameless soldier necro soldier or what have you um but all in all it's an enjoyable story i uh 
when we were talking beforehand about uh before we started this episode it, you, you had mentioned the terminator thing and then we started going through this episode i started seeing all those connections like like when i read it the first the first time i i don't think i made that that connection like oh yeah this is this is you know post post apocalyptic it's got that that sort of future terminator feel it didn't really cross my mind too much then and and but now that i'm like going through this whole thing with you and and seeing it in that light it's so obvious abel is absolutely like the infiltrator terminators you know he he's the enemy but he looks you know like your friend and all the the humans it's definitely got that rack tag uh disheveled look like they, they're just you know being held together by like scraps and patches like, like they they've got nothing but they're hanging on for dear life and the, the whole post-apocalypse you know, it, it just screams Terminator and the Necro soldiers. Everything's also sort of bionic. I mean, even when we got to see Daniel's face, it was not entirely organic or necroplasm. It was semi uh, semi technological. So, so it's it's very interesting looking at it in that light that it was kind of, you know, it was probably inspired by Terminator and yeah, this is coming off the heels, you know, like it's only a couple of years after judgment day, the, the second Terminator movie released. So it's, it's very possible, very, very likely that, that it was a inspiration for this arc. Yeah. December, 1996. I think, I think the Terminator movie was in 92. I want to say Terminator yeah. two. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a few years after, and and uh, I mean Madrid being a female character, being very you know strong and capable with weapons, just like Sarah Connor, protecting mm-hmm. her son, just like protecting Sarah Connor. Her son. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean it's not it's not a hundred percent on the nose, and uh, but clearly inspired by, and it's its mm-hmm. own thing, and it's it it is interesting, and uh, you know I, I read it before, but going through de- doing the recap. I did enjoy it more going through doing the, doing the recap than I did the first time. Cause again, it's, it's so dense. I think this is, it's one mm-hmm. of those arcs where you owe it to yourself, especially if you're going to spend money to, you know, to buy it, even if it's digitally or whatever, like Read give it, it a couple, couple give it, yeah. Give it a two or three reads. It doesn't have to be all within a close period of time, but I think you get more out of it. The second read and probably a third read I'll, I'll get even a little bit more. So yeah, it's it's interesting world building and whatnot, and uh, it does sh- kind of show how flexible a lot of the ideas that McFarland created with Spawn are, because mm-hmm. this is like you said at the beginning when we first started talking about this set so far in the future to the point where yeah maybe it's maybe you, you have to think of it like we think about a lot of comic book futures now. This is a possible future that could come to be. It doesn't don't necessarily think of this as canon. This is. 100% written in stone for the future of the Spawn universe, but look what the, the um, you know, the basic ideas and basic concepts that McFarlane came up with, look at how they can be applied to other kind of, of stories. And one last thing I'll say about this is we have talked about, especially in recent episodes, doing the quote unquote cosmic stuff, how it, it feels like it hasn't melded well together with the urban horror, with the space stuff. It hasn't that that sci-fi feel of the space stuff 
hasn't melded well with the urban horror that feels so different in tone and whatnot. Here we have a story that, you know, both of us are pretty sure is inspired by one of the best sci-fi films or franchises, Terminator. But this does meld that idea of sci-fi really well with the supernatural and the horror and whatnot. It, it does a fantastic job. At no point when I'm reading this did I th- feel like it wasn't a sci-fi story. At no point when I was reading it did I feel like it wasn't uh, a horror story. At no point did I feel like it wasn't a Spawn story. And sometimes I get those feelings with the Angela stories or the Abdil uh, two-parter that we did recently because they, they just don't mesh well together. McElroy did a great job here in this first arc and it's it's too bad that that other stuff doesn't have the same kind of kind of feel and i think it i think it's the yeah i think it's the horror aspect of it that that pushes them together that pushes those ideas together and i think that's that's what's missing and maybe it's because those stories that we've had before with abdiel and with angela there are stories about the heaven side of things rather than the hell side of things Mm -hmm. so inherently you don't necessarily get the horror aspect of it yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point. Um, another thing that I kind of noticed this time through reading was uh, if if Daniel is to Al Simmons, you know, obviously they're both Hellspawn, then Matthew is kind of like the cyan of this story. He's the child in the story that is a little more aware of things. Feels even more so than the the than the parents and madrid is kind of like wanda or terry or something you know you, you've got that emotional core where ultimately this is this is a story about family you know trying to reconnect with each other and daniel's trying to you know kind of protect them in this this very scary situation and he doesn't know the best way to do that yeah, that's a good that's a good call. I didn't think about that, but yeah, definitely he he definitely uh, Matt definitely feels a connection to the spawn right from uh, when he first shows up, and yeah, that's definitely similar to what Cyan is is feeling now. So uh, yeah, so a really really fun four issue arc. Uh, I look forward to reading Blood and Salvation because Blake has let me know that some of this stuff that we're I'm not sure about uh, kind of ties up in in that one shot. So we'll we'll cover that on the next episode. Uh, any last thoughts on this issue before we call it, Blake? Uh, no, no, not really. Uh, this is this is one of my favorites just because it's so different. It's so different from things that we've seen before. And I just love the idea of taking all the concepts that make a good Spawn story and just slapping it into a post-apocalypse. It's like, this works. It works. Like, like, like you're saying, you know, it is a lot of information up front. It feels like the whole first two issues of this arc is just set up, but then all the payoff is in, is in those second two issues where it's like, okay, we're moving forward. Action's happening. Okay. You know, he's making a critical, you know, choice here. It's an action packed second half of the arc, but it's a lot of front loading so to speak. Yeah. And curious of what Todd's thoughts were like, like what made you, did he just say, okay, I need a second spawn, second monthly spawn book. So I'm going to do curse of the spawn or, or did Alan McElroy have this idea? Like it's a, like that, the, the, uh, the background is something I'd be interested in, in talking yeah. to Todd about. So we'll see if we can make that happen. Uh, I keep, 
I keep saying that I have nothing <laughs> concrete, but hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll make it happen, everybody. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Exactly. So uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Once again, we want to thank everybody for joining us. Hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, next time we'll be talking about the, uh, the one shot. I think it's a 60 page one shot um, spawn uh, blood and salvation. Don't forget if you want to know what's coming up next, you know, especially if you're just maybe want to tune in for the, the uh, issues of the, the regular series, just go and check out the reading order. Uh, we're following that and that's how stuff will be released. So go and check it out. There's a link in the show notes. So we appreciate you guys joining us as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Later. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.